Good evening. Welcome to the Adventurers Club of Los Angeles. I'm here with Bill Altaffer, member 1095, the world's most traveled person. And we're going to be getting into some interesting stories tonight. Uh, before we start, if you like our channel, please subscribe. That helps us out. And just as a reminder, there's going to be a Q&A at the end where uh, we answer some of your questions. So if you're watching live, go ahead and throw some questions into the chat. And at the end, Andy will read them off and Bill will be here to answer them live. Well, three seconds delay, right? <laughs> Almost live. So, Bill, um, you're the world's most traveled person. Is that correct? Yes, but I'll explain that in the, in the next so, hour. <laughs> yeah, what, what does it mean to be the most traveled person in the world? Like, how, do, how is that even measured? How do you... Well, different people measure it different ways, okay? So, back in 1964, there was a company here in L.A., and I'm going to angelicize my talk tonight and talk a little bit about things that people from the L.A. area will be familiar with, you know. So uh, where Tay's Restaurant is down on Sunset, this club formed called the Traveler's Century Club, and it was formed by Hempel Tour Managers, which I became later, and uh, the idea was to meet with clients and other escorts and, and discuss uh, how to get to different countries, what hotels to stay in, things to avoid, things to do, et cetera. So this was a travel company? That, no, it or, was... A, or a consortium? Hempel was a travel company, and uh, but uh, the Traveler Century Club was started by their escorts. And, okay. then, and then anybody could join who had been to 100 countries. So that's kind of where you first got started counting the number of countries. That's when I started counting. Uh, and at that time, I'd probably been to, uh, oh, 60 or 70 countries. That list at that time was about 130 countries uh, in 1954. And how, in 1954, so there are 130 countries on the list. Then, you had to hit 100 to be there. How, how much of the world did that represent at the time, just like rough? All of it. So there's only 130 countries? At that time. Wow. And then today, like Ryan Trapp wrote a book called Chasing 193, so his list is 193 countries. That's a book that you can get in myself. And That's how many countries exist in the world today? By his list, and most people confirm that, but yet you can go to the post office, and they used to, probably they don't do it anymore, uh, they used to have a paper manual, and they had countries for the post office. And their list last time I looked 20 years ago, was probably about uh, 220 places. 220 countries. Yeah. And they, the one thing they did is kind of different. They counted Pitcairn as a separate country, uh, but it's really under the control of New Zealand. So that, that was kind of interesting with the Postal Service so list. So colonialism, so countries change, right? Countries so change, names change. And uh, a lot of these places, uh, I like to pride myself that, you know, I completed all the countries in the last century. So, okay. so you, before, you can't do that anymore. Before the turn of the century, yes. you had knocked out all the countries all of them. that existed. Yes. All of them. All the countries that existed. And some prior. you can't get today if you're trying to catch some of us. There's 30 or 40 of us that are big world travelers in that book that Ryan wrote. How are you going to do the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, Salon? They don't yeah. exist. Yeah. They no longer exist. So that's one way to count. You just say how Yugoslavia. many countries have you been to? I've been to X number of countries. That's one way to count. 
And, that, and that's the awful thing. Because you might be at a cocktail party somewhere, and I've heard of people coming up, meeting strangers, and saying, <clears throat> what, what, what's, what's your number? They go, what? The places you've been, and then if it's not enough, they walk away. So that, that's oh, kind of interesting. That's point. the obnoxious part so of that, it. But that's only <laughs> one way to count, right? It's one way to count. The latest is uh, uh, a man I haven't met, Artur, and let me see if I can, Anuzenski, and I know I just butchered that. He's from Poland, and he just started this thing called 1313. Okay. And I had to really check this out, and I'm still checking it out. He counts the different regions of every country. So maybe Czechoslovakia has eight, ten regions. So in the past, on the negative side, a person we might call a touch and go, he'd fly into Prague. He's mm -hmm. been to Czechoslovakia, marked off, fly on. Okay, well, you can't do that with his list. You have to go around. Like go to each of the counties, basically. Is you know, it county level, or is it like... I just want to... Intersect. Like, like a state level? Like would it be the equivalent of states? Well, there's there's two members of the of the Century Club uh, that uh, years ago people were giving him a little bit of static about traveling to these countries and you haven't seen the United States so these two went out and visited all seven thousand counties in the world Jeez, yeah. of the United States yeah the and they got them stamped by the county registrar and there was a list the paper was up about this high I remember seeing it because this one guy went and got stamped by each of the county registrars, you know, and so I, I think wow. Pennsylvania was the toughest because of the hills. Yeah. But anyway, there's that list, and then there's Charles Velli expanded his list beyond the Century Club, and his numbers are up or, or around 1,000. 1,000 places. Places, and uh, some, some of the countries, have, they count some of the states, island groups, territories, disputed areas, Enclaves, exclaves, you have to look up all these. So there's all these people that have a different list. Everybody seems to have a different list. It seems like, I don't know, if, if I was creating a list, I might skew that list towards <laughs> me being at the top. Like, because everybody has a different way they like to travel, right? Right. I have a friend, David Oldfield in San Diego. He went to Socotra with me years uh -huh. ago and the Pamir Highway. And he only counts beautiful places. So he has this thing in his mind. But it's uh, subjective, right? Very subjective. So my list, part of Charles Velli's list, is the UNESCO list. There's about 1,000, 1,100 UNESCO sites um, and the UN and their cultural department or What's whatever UNESCO it is. What's UNESCO stand for? United Nations uh, something cultural, ESCO? I don't know. I forgot. But they're cultural sites. They're right? cultural sites, or, they, or, or like a, a natural site. They of, could be man-made, or like they could be like. Uh, what are some of the ones like in California? Grand Canyon, uh, the Golden Gate, Yosemite, okay. okay, stuff like that. And so I think that when you do the UNESCO sites, you see uh, it shows that you've seen more of the the world, more of, the, of each country. And theoretically, that doesn't change if uh, it only changes if you mess it up. Like for example. Scotty's Castle isn't one of these, but it is a national monument. But if you were to go in in Death Valley and finish the swimming pool, it's no longer on the list because you modified the thing. So some countries don't have UNESCO sites. Uh, and so there's a bit, a bit of politics and money exchange. I, I just came back from Madova about, I don't know, nine months ago, and they have one UNESCO site. And right. it's, 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 a, it's a monument uh, in the middle of Moldova that... Uh, it measures the curvature of the Earth. It, it's not much bigger than, you know, the 
small statue. But and that's their one UNESCO site. And there'll be other places like I don't think Somalia has any UNESCO sites. So then does that count as a so I can see how that would be hard. Well, you, yeah, when you, it shows that you've you've gone around and, and supposedly seen the best that that area had to offer, mm -hmm. natural or man-made, etc. Yeah, because it doesn't count if you, you know, if you just fly into some place and like get off the plane and, you know, it does it with some of the clubs. You know, with some it does. With some of that it, counts. some of it does. And then there's a Jeff Shea who's a uh, he's been to every summit, he's climbed every summit in the world. That's pretty impressive. And his list is like 7,100 places. And so that's all the states, countries, territories, colonies of the world. And that, that, that's, that's the most extensive. But Arthur's uh, new, new list of uh, 1313 is pretty, pretty cool. So what's your list? Uh, the UNESCO list. The UNESCO list. Yeah, I, I've done about 90% of the UNESCO list. I've seen 90% of it. Because it sounds like a lot, of, a lot of these guys that are competing for most traveled person kind of come up with their own bucket list of places, basically. <laughs> It's unfortunate. And they're competing against themselves and anybody else who thinks that that list is worthy. Yeah, I mean, like uh, uh, Matt Allison down in San Diego, he's a great adventurer. Uh, I'm not sure what his numbers are, but the places and the things he's done, like living with, uh, you know, native people on the Kola Peninsula of Siberia in the winter. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've been to Russia 27 times. Never in the winter. He goes in the winter, and he, he does these great slideshows. He did one about three years ago here. Tremendous photography. And, you know, he gets down with the nitty-gritty, lives with the cattle people in South Sudan. So, you know... It, That's the other extreme, right? There's the people that step off the airport or, yeah, you know, put their hand across the border, and then there's the people that have to one actually live there. One time, we were in Iraq under Saddam, and when, what year was this? She, when, 15 years ago. And we decided, most of us were Century Club members, we decided... Oh, wait, to, it's 2020, so 15 years ago is 2005. Was, we have him by 2000? Nah, we didn't have him by 2005. No, so he was in power when yeah. we were there. And but this so, was post 9-11. It was post 9-11, so, and we uh, decided there to... Uh, go to the Chagos Archipelago, which is where Diego Garcia is. Okay. And uh, we were putting this whole thing, we were uh, <clears throat> sending papers to the Admiralty in London to allow us to go in from the Seychelles. It was a three-week trip on a small boat and, and visit the Chagos. And, uh, and so, uh, um, what were we talking about? You were in Iraq. We're in Iraq. We're trying to visit the Chagos we're, Islands. We're, we're trying to do this. So we, we planned our, our, our mission there to do this. And, uh, and then a year later, we did it. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So we were on this boat in Mahe, and people had already paid a substantial amount of money to sail to the Chagos. Well, two people came down. They were from New York, and they looked at the boat, and they said, no way. And they walked away. <laughs> so it ended up, uh, Lynn Stevenson from the south and myself, we ended up with single cabins because we had extra room on the boat. Yeah. But they looked at it and goes, this is not seaworthy. We're not doing this. So it takes money, and it takes time, and it takes the, the Yiddish term, hoopspa. If you're not willing to get on that boat, like I mentioned Socotra a minute ago, we were flying out of Yemen. And we're on Yemeni Airlines, and it makes one stop on the coast, 
and then the plane goes on to Socotra. And I'm with my little group, and this whole point of this trip is to see Socotra. Tremendous, uh, they call it the Galapagos of the Indian Ocean. It just okay. got invaded the other day in the news by the revolutionaries in, in Yemen. So the plane starts down the runway, and bang! Big flame, left engine fired off this big flame. We pull over on the tarmac, and uh, we just sit there. Captain says nothing. And uh, then they put down the gangway, and people got off, but not my group. I have a group of six or seven people going with me to Socotra. And then some of the people came back on, and they got off. And finally, the captain says, hey, listen, this is not a restaurant. You cannot just get up and get off. He says, we're take we don't know what's wrong with the plane, but we're taking off in five minutes anyway. And I'm thinking, <laughs> really? Why don't we get off? You take it up, run it around the airport, and then we'll <laughs> make sure it works. But then they aborted the whole flight, yeah. and, and then we had to go the next Generally, day. Generally, if you don't know what's wrong with the plane after a fire, I, I, I don't know, I'm not a pilot, but yeah. I think that's the rule, right? If you don't know what's wrong with it and there is just a fire, you, yeah. you wait until you know what's wrong, right? Yes, but it's like, how bad do you want to go to Socotra? They only have a flight once a week. And if you miss that flight, you're not going. And so, and so th that was the kind of, you know, adventure stuff that, you know, 90-year-old women with me, they go with me sometimes on trips, do. Yeah. You know? So, so your specialty is basically getting people to some of the most difficult to access places in right. the world. Right. And they already know where they are. They just don't know that the trip's going. And usually, if, if I set up some kind of trip, and uh, they'll say, well, you know, I think we, we can't go this year, but we'll go. I say, it's usually a one-off. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time. <laughs> like you're saying. Yeah, this trip's not running next year. Well, you I used to, I used to, I've done 14 trips to North Korea. You can't go with me anymore. Right. Because I can't go. So yeah. we'll go. <laughs> so, so what do you think the most logistically challenging place to get was in your career? Like, what's the hardest place, like, logistically? You're saying for myself, because we were just talking about Sentinel Island there in the Andamans, which I, I know I can't get to right now. That's where they... Yeah, no, no, no. Made... I'm, not, I'm not talking about a place that... We'll ask that question later, but, like, yeah. what, what do you think, like, the trip that you organized or the trip that you went on yourself that was the most logistically difficult? Well, I suppose, because of all these trips that I've made, I'm, I'm going to say North Korea. And I'm saying because one time... I even had my cousin going with me. My, my whole group got to Beijing, and, and that's, where you, that's how you get to North Korea. You can't cross the border like you saw where Trump stepped over uh, a year ago or so. Yeah, that, that's not how you get you, in, you right? can't. They won't let you do that. So you have to go to Beijing, get your visas there from the North Korean embassy, and then fly in on a Russian plane, and that's an adventure. And, uh, Just the Russian plane part? Yeah, it's brand new, but it's a little bit different, you know, and... Uh, uh, and so we got there, and we're all ready to go, and the general said, no, you're not going. So the whole thing was what a general? Some general in North Korea. Huh. I, don't, I don't think it went all the way up. It, Kim Jong-un wasn't the, the president then, or the premier, or whatever he is. But the, his dad premier. said, we're, you're not going. Yeah. It's the general. So we don't know why. So everybody had to go home. And then a couple of years later, you know, it's like peanuts in the football I said, come on, we got to go to North Korea. You'll love it, you know. And so we, <laughs> we finally got in. So that was tough. And then I'll just say one other thing was funny. 
I took my kids to North Korea. And uh, my wife wouldn't go because she's born in communist China and she knows what it's all about. She knows, she, she's all set. I, yeah, yeah, I don't not going. Go back there, I'm fine. She wasn't really big on the kids going. They were teenagers. We went a few years ago. And we're, we're going to leave to come home. We've done our two weeks there, the maximum you could do. And we're at the airport, and the two gu uh, girl guides are right there, and it's raining like hell. And I signed us up for Air China to go out of North Korea because previous time, when you go in on uh, their Pyongyang Airlines, Karor Airlines, uh, we missed our flight because they end up in a different part of the terminal in Beijing. So I picked Air China. And the, the two guides, it's raining like heck, and we're all, the flight's delayed. And she goes, how come you're not going on our airline? We have the bravest pilots. And I go, well, we're, we're not looking for brave for the lightnings going on. We want to get there safely. Yeah, brave isn't, isn't necessarily <laughs> something that you We don't need fighter pilot. pilots. We just want to get there. So that's, that kind of tells you about uh, you know, the, the demeanor of the North Koreans. But you've been there 14 times, so, yeah. so you're somewhat of an expert on, on I have a condo now. there. Still? No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm having a timeshare. <laughs> a timeshare? <laughs> yeah, time, yeah, what's happening to my timeshare? No, but it, it, it's, it's quite an experience. And I'm sure people listening go. Are there, there UNESCO sites in North Korea? There is. There's one little, it, it's, it's 10 feet long. It's a little uh, bridge down in the south, uh -huh. uh, pretty close to the DMZ, that dates back uh, to one of their dynasties and qualified them. That's the one thing that they have. Interesting. Yeah. So, is there any place on this planet where you don't think that you've been? Where well, I mean, there's been? all kinds you of said cities. You said there's 90% and... of the, the UNESCO list. Where's yeah. your next UNESCO site? Uh, probably, I was supposed to go to Czechoslovakia this last, or the, uh, the Slovakia. Uh, I've been there before, you know, when it was Czechoslovakia and in different parts, but the Slovakia part has uh, a few UNESCO sites I haven't been to, so mm -hmm. uh, that's been postponed because of the virus till next year. How many how many UNESCO sites do you have left? Well, about a hundred. A hundred. But like I say, they, they they change them. Sometimes they get they get dropped. Sometimes they get added. And it's a moving uh, target. It's a moving target, and you know it's not the point of now I got them all and I can check them off. You know, it's just do I really want to do this? Yeah. And so uh, are there any that on there that you don't want to see? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> you want to throw one well, under the bus there's here? A, there's a lighthouse out in the North Sea called Rock Hall. Yeah. There's nobody on the island. It's just a lighthouse. And it's got 60-foot waves sometimes. And so no, I don't want to go there. Is that that famous one with the picture? It could or, be. I know what you're talking about. I'm sure it has There's time. a guy standing on the backside of the lighthouse. And uh, yeah. And how's he going to get off that? So I, I don't care about that. For myself, you know, everybody has their own idea. It has to have culture, history, or something. It, it, I think it needs people. Right. You know, there's a few spots in Antarctica that some people count that I don't count. You've been to the North Pole? Yeah. Been to the South Pole? No. But I've been no. to Antarctica three times, so not to the Pole. Well, yeah, well, I have been. We have a member here that could maybe, I don't know if he can facilitate that. He oh, should be able to. Well, it, it happens periodically out of Chile. You can, you can get yeah. there on flights. You know, yeah. and you, sometimes you get turned back and the weather and all that kind of stuff. But um, my first trip, you know, was when I was seven. And this it was is a, this is your first trip that got you into traveling, right? Yeah. And that's the one where the boat ship sank in Glacier Bay, which is uh, Wait, uh, in Alaska. So your first 
travel yeah experience. with my parents Tell us about your first travel experience. we took a train up to uh, Vancouver mm -hmm. and then we took the uh, Princess Kathleen Canadian Pacific line but what they do to today with the basic summer Alaskan trips but it was a smaller ship and it didn't have radar it hit an iceberg in Glacier Bay and uh, we had to get in lifeboats pretty quick and go to the sister ship which was nearby so that that's how it started off and, uh, but, and you know, I thought I thought it was on. a part of the trip, you know. As a little kid, you <laughs> this know, is part of the yes, like Disneyland, you know, yeah, yeah, just a, an experience there. Yeah. But uh, so you it, grew up in L.A., right? I grew up really close to here, and Los Feliz, and uh, and John Goddard used to come and give speeches. At your I high school. went to Marshall High, and my, you know, he's always been my mentor. He would come and he would do his films like Kayak Down the Nile and the Congo River, and he was, you know, an assembly. And you know, kids would, if we were good, we got an assembly every month. And so he'd bring an oscillate uh, kitten and uh, do his 16 millimeter black and white show. And mm -hmm. I'd see him, you know, with his uh, explorer's flags and stuff. And I thought, this, this, is, this is great. And then years later, uh, <clears throat> when I went to SC, uh, everybody would talk about John Goddard because he was a member of our fraternity. And in the back of the Sigma Chi house, there's a uh, palm tree and he climbed that damn thing and set up on top just know, like in the little like where yeah the palms just set up the like things this, moving around down. like that you know and so i said i couldn't believe it and then when hellway came they they knew i was affected by this you got to climb that tree I just, they give me these ice picks and stuff like that <laughs> but that was a bad idea but in the process of getting to visit countries i i had all but three of south america and so I, uh, it was really hard to get these, this is also hard, to get these visas for Suriname and uh, Guyana and uh, French Guiana. And so those three are really hard. People are never in the embassy and you, you do all this paperwork. It took a year. So I'm finally going in. The you would actually have to go to the embassy? No, you do it by correspondence. Okay. You know, but it was really difficult. And to get the flights there were a big problem. And so one of my buddies, Kevin Merrill, he's with me, and we're going there. And uh, we went out to, this is in French Guiana, where uh, Devil's Island is. Mm -hmm. So we went out to Devil's Island. And it's kind of cool. Devil's Island is kind of guarded by the French Foreign Legion. Okay. And I have this thing about the French Foreign Legion, you know, watching Abbott and Costello movies in the 50s because you, you could always screw up and it'd always take you in the French Foreign Legion. So the Legionnaires, the Cape Blanc, their white hat, I, I, I study a lot. I've been a lot of places where the Legion is. Okay. They're not French, by the way. They're anybody, right? They're anybody but French. The officers, that's why they're the Foreign Legion. And then the French don't really like them. They do all the dirty work for them. Right. So, but the officers are French? The officers are French. And then the soldiers... But a French citizen can't be in the Foreign Legion? No. Only as an officer, but not as a grunt arm. And these guys, you know, they're, they're mercenaries and pretty neat guys. They have, to, they have to learn French and they have to learn how to cook and they cook for us there. And when it was over, we left the island, we get in the rental car and we're driving back down the road through the jungle. And I knew something about their space program. And there's a sign that says Karoo. And I knew what that was. It's the Cape Canaveral for uh, Europe. Okay. So... European people want to send up a satellite. They don't, um, you know, have the Americans do it. They do it from French Guiana because it's 
right near the equator. Yeah, yeah, it's near the equator. Supposedly, it's less hassle to get up in orbit and stuff like that. So I pull off from the rent a car, and Kevin's sitting next to me. And we're driving down this road, and I could see the guard tower and the AK-47. And I look at Kevin. I said, hey, you got a Costco card? Give, 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 give it to me. So he gives me his card, and I pull up, and I had mine, and I hand it to the soldier, and he has his rifle and gun in, in, in the car. He goes, what's this? I said, we're members of Costco. And so he looks at it, he turns it over, and he sees the picture, and he goes, go on in. So I know what was happening. He, they, both cards match. It's a picture. And he didn't want to get in trouble, like, you didn't let the Costco guys in? So we went in, and we gave ourselves a self-tour for about an hour and a half of the missile site and a little museum. And so always they have... They had a museum on there? Oh, yeah. And always have something in your hand. Now, for example, when I went to Cuba uh, out of Cancun uh, at one time, I was with a little tour group, uh, people I didn't know, there was a Swedish uh, couple, and we were at Veradero Beach, we're swimming... Some kids stole their backpack, which had their ID in it. Mm -hmm. uh, best to leave it in the safe at the hotel. <clears throat> but anyway, so now they don't have a passport. And the only way, or they would have gotten eventually, but what helped them to get home was they had a golf club ID from Stockholm. Huh. And that helped them to get on the plane and go home but because their passports were gone. So with the Costco story, my daughter was uh, studying in, in France, yeah. and she took this great course in museums of Paris. She was there for a year. Okay. So she remembers my Costco story. She's late for class. They were holding it in the Louvre. Big line of tourists. So she just goes up to the front with her California driver's license and goes, you know, and goes on in and didn't miss the class. It was on California time. driver's license, huh? What year was this? Got to ask Lena. She's listening, maybe. I always wonder maybe. about that. You know, you know, Michael Lawler always has stories about him uh, sneaking into places. Have you heard some of Michael's stories? No. He's always trying to sneak into whatever place he can. He tried to sneak into the royal wedding. He got pretty far. Wow. I mean, he just he wears a tuxedo. Oh, right? he, he's the one that dresses properly. Yep. He brings the jacket. And yeah, then, always brings Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I used to crash cru cruise ships. I have about, I don't know, 800 days on ships that I've been on like 30 trips. It, I That's started surprising. With, you don't seem like a cruise ship guy. Well, they're not all, uh, you know, giant Disney cruises. I've done that with my kids when they were younger. But they're mostly Russian icebreakers. Okay. And I, I would design these trips and go all the way from Santiago to New Guinea in three stages over a three-year period using these ice-class freighters. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, but I'm for any kind of ship, you know. Yeah. You know. I, I know what you mean by the negative aspect of, uh, of cruises. I mean, there are some cool cruise ships that do, like, expedition cruises where they've got, like, dive gear and Zodiacs. And, the, smaller, you know. the smaller the better. Right. Uh, one of my trips I want to mention, I thought it was really cool, because when you look at the itinerary, you know, I, I really don't like people to look at my itineraries just... Go where I tell, tell you I want you to go and you're going to have a good time. You know, they're reading here, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> we, have, we have a half day here in, in St. Peter. That's what you want to walk around, get in, meet somebody in a bar. Yeah. Who in the hell knows what's going to happen? But uh, there's a company called Mir Corporation up in Seattle. Uh -huh. And years ago, I wanted to go to Tuva. And Where's Tuva? Tuva is a, a republic of, uh, there's 92 Russian Republics. I've been to every one of them. They're called oblasts, 
basically. Like a steak. Like a, yeah, and steak. cries and stuff like that. And, and they're reverse size, you know, like we go west, we get Texas and California. In their oblast, they go east and they get Saha and, and, and Kamchatka, and they're much bigger than the ones around Moscow. So I want to go to Tuva, and it kind of relates to around here in L.A. Feynman, scientist, Caltech, he and his friend, another professor at Caltech, I mean, yeah, Caltech. They wanted to go to Tuva because Tuvans at that time had a triangular stamp and they were stamp collectors. And they couldn't get in. Feynman couldn't because he's a nuclear physicist and it was during the Soviet Union. His ashes are there. Was, when he died and they opened it up later, his friend took his ashes there. It's the center, theoretically, of Asia, geographically, mm. in Tuva. And it's where the throat singers sing in three tones. Oh, so yeah. there's, a, there's a DVD called Genghis Blues, about a black man from San Francisco who was blind. His parents are from Cabo Verde. And he learned to speak and sing in Tuvan. And he ends up, they discover him in San Francisco in the, in the Genghis Blues, the DVD. They, they go to Tuva. He wins the throat singing contest. He's that good. Really? And he learned it over listening to... Uh, Communist radio in the, I forget the name for it, you know, like Air America or whatever for us. And um, and so th that's something that's, that's, so anyway, with Mir, that's all I got established with them. And then. Mir's uh, a travel agency that you Up in for. San Francisco, uh, up in uh, uh, Seattle. And so, in that Chaz place, I haven't been there. But you haven't I, been to Chaz? I haven't been to Chaz. Where's Chaz? I guess it's in Somewhere downtown Seattle. Northwest? You know, they changed the name already. I missed it. So it's got a new name. Well, I mean, it's still there, right? It's probably if still you don't there. go and get it, Yeah, well, gonna we're going to pass on that one. So, <laughs> so my friend Dimitri, who I've never met, he's done like 30 trips for me, and I've never personally met him. He says to me, he says, you want to try the Pamir Highway? And I, it's an experiment because I'd done the Tuva thing, and now... Mir does. They've never done. Where's the Pamir Highway? Pamir Highway runs from uh, Kyrgyzstan over to Tajikistan, and it's the highest road in the world, eighteen thousand feet. Wow! And so uh, we are on our way. This is the main idea. Uh, Dimitri says, "You know, your people don't mind getting a little dusty, and we're staying in Gert, uh, Gers and and yurts for a, a week or so." And I said, "No, we'll, we'll do this." And we're we're on this highway. And uh, the guide says, uh, look up there on the hill. You see that building up there? He says, you know what that is? He says, that's where the Russians started tracking Francis Gary Powers when he was in the U-2 spy plane. And, the, and then they followed him. And I've been to the, to the area where he crashed in the middle of uh, Siberia. And then the, the plane remains are in Petersburg and Moscow. But anyway, it's just like, really, you know, you're seeing something that's, how would, you, how would that happen? It's not in the itinerary. Right. It was a spontaneous thing that happened. And, uh, and then that's where the really cool stuff. Before that, as we came up from Kyrgyzstan, uh, we get to the entrance gate to Tajikistan, and our bus, tourist bus, stops, and they put down this uh, gate. And my guide, Paul Schwartz, he did about 15 or 20 of my trips, I, I see him running around, just really panicked. And so he says, we don't have the permit for the bus to go to the next station. And so the best we can do is they have these four-man Russian 
four-wheel drives. You'd probably see them in movies. And it didn't even have a roof rack. They said, first he ended up bribing the guides and these generals, the officers. They had to ride in the thing. And we put eight people into this Jeep with all our luggage. And we're just all squeezed in like this. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Now, these people are paying good money for this. Right. It's not cheap. And I, I'm just going, this is hilarious. This is the funniest thing. Ever. We're, we're, I'm going to talk about it at the Adventures Club. You know, But you got to keep going, right? you got to keep going. And it's just hilarious. I just had a hip replacement, and I swear to God, I thought it was going to come loose. So people <laughs> climbing on top. They're all big people. And, but we made it. So you tried to bribe the guards to let the bus go through. Yeah, it wasn't that, happening? That's not happening, no. No? You They'd know. rather... They'd rather ride with you in that eight? Yeah, it had to be two of them. It was so stupid. I guess they wanted to talk to each other on the way back. So th that was worth doing. And So uh, that was the whole trip. How, how far did you make it along the Premier Highway? Oh, we waited over the whole thing. Stalin had built the highway in the 1920s. And then, you know, we're going along. And Is it you, pretty twisty? Uh, it's dirt. It's high. It's twisty. Uh, and then you could look down and see uh, Your death? Uh, electric fence for oh. China. It, it, it wasn't working, I think, at the time, but they had an electrified uh, fence there so you couldn't cross it. And then you, you came up a little bit further where uh, there was a bridge over to Afghanistan, so it, it butts in against Afghanistan, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and that was way, that was, you know, spontaneous thing that happened. We, we pulled into uh, Dushanbe, capital of Tajikistan, and at that time we got a reward. We got the five-star, it was a four-star, but it seemed like uh, Hyatt Regency or whatever the hell it was, hotel. And I wouldn't have even let us in. They should have said, okay, you people, stand over there, we're going to get a fire hose. We were so <laughs> covered in dirt. Clo the, the suitcases, everything. And so th that's how I do my stuff. We go out and we earn a, a four- or five-star hotel, but you, you got to earn it. Yeah. Because the good stuff isn't just bopping from four seasons to four seasons. You, right. But for some people it is. Yeah. I know people that will not travel unless they're going to places that are nicer than their home where they live. I remember them saying that to me. I mean, that's not a bad way to go, right? It's not a bad way to go. Like, I mean, if you, you want to get away from things and, and see something cool, like if it's not as good as your home. <laughs> exactly. But I guess it depends on how you live, right? Exactly. And then when I really started getting my countries was when I was teaching skiing at Mammoth. and uh, So yeah, you're a ski instructor, right? Ski instructor. How, how long have you done that for? I, at Mammoth, I was 30 years. In college, I was probably eight years up at Big Bear. And then when I got my degrees, I went to Mammoth. And uh, Joe Kimball, a, a guy from my surf club, was teaching up there. And anyway, I got hired. And I'd already dropped out of my doctoral program, so I'm a doctoral dropout. And What were you going to get a doctorate in? Philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> You know, I, I think my wife wants me to still go back and get it. Yeah, right. So, but anyway, that's when I met people. And I had a, I had a private lesson. And they, I said, what do you do? And the guy says, I'm an accountant for a company, uh, General Mills. Uh -huh. But they just bought half of a travel agency. General Mills did? Yeah. And hmm. so they bought Travel World. And it was a long, uh, very old company, just like I was saying Hempel was. And uh, the... Uh, guy taking the lesson, the accountant says, why don't you come over to the Yodeler? Now, the Yodeler is this uh, restaurant across the street from Mammoth. And for all the, you people that go to Mammoth and you do it periodically, you might not know that that 
building was brought piece by piece from Switzerland. There's not a nail in it. So it was bought from Switzerland, brought and reassembled there. So he says, why don't you come over there after teaching skiing today and meet my boss? Now, I could have just blown it off, but I didn't. And I went over and I met Ron Harris, who owned Travel World. Later, he owns Hemphill Harris. And he quizzed me, where, where you been? Old of Gorge, you've been to see the Maasai. And he goes, here's my card. You come to LA, I'll give you a job. So mm -hmm. I ski season's over, go down to Hollywood. That's when it, where it was, across from Grauman's Chinese. And Ron says, you got a <clears throat> passport that's valid? And I go, yes. And he goes, you want to go to Asia on Monday for a month? And I go, mm-hmm. And then that's where it started. That's a pretty cool gig. And we have a picture of your passports, right? Yeah, there's so, 13 passports there. I didn't know I was going to live this long, so there's two extra that fit into that thing I made that has, holds 11 passports. So you actually made a rack for your passport. I made a rack. It's like a passport. louver on a 32 Ford. Oh, you know, wow, look at that. Yeah. You know, and so some of them have stamps from Babylon, what, Kermadec Island. On the right, they look like they're big. Yeah, what the old days, like? they were bigger. They were green, not that blue that we have, and they were taller. Huh. Yeah. So. When, when did they change the size? I think probably 60, 1960. Quite so a few passports. It's, and then it has additions. And all those some of them. I, I had a girl, I was getting on a ship in Chile doing this whole thing across, the, and she looked at my passport. She's like, I have passport envy. Yeah. And because I had four editions, you know, because yeah. you could do that. You can't do it anymore. You can get one edition, then you have to buy a new passport. Most countries. You're like, girl, this is just one of my passports. <laughs> stack of, I mean, they, they get really thick. And so, uh, yeah. So, and then we, we saw this picture of the, the, the map. Can you explain this map to us? Okay, I bought that map in the 60s uh, when I got on a ship with my family. We'd been in East Africa, and we went around from Durban to Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, and we went all the way up to uh, Southampton. I think that was 16, 17 days at sea. Uh -huh. And I bought the uh, map, and I started putting the, the uh, trips I made on it in black ink. And it just kept going on and on. And finally, the map started to fall apart, so I mounted it. And so that's all the places I've been. Now, it's all a, centered on L.A. That's so cool. It's all centered on L.A. And about L.A., I started working for Ron Harris, Hempel Harris, and I would pick tours to places I hadn't been, and i start adding more countries. So and as you're working as a travel agent and a... a now I'm a tour, tour manager. Tour manager. Not a tour guide. You know, I married a tour guide. My wife was a tour guide in Shanghai. So a travel agent books... Books tickets? Uh, no, the travel agent doesn't know how to write a ticket. In the old days, you had to write tickets. And uh, 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 I mean, a, a tour manager. So, a tour, what does a tour manager do? Because I know. A or escort. We could be called an escort. All I, right. So, to, manager That's escort. Something else, but. Yeah, and so we're that too. But we. we uh, you provide companionship for people. Well, we're we're like Uber drivers. Okay. We, we you show okay you're working for the company and you might even be in the brochure today. You'd be on a website and stuff like that, and the company, the 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 retailer creates a tour, and the wholesalers, travel agents sell it, and then when the tour is going to go, they pick a tour manager who's going to lead it, and so we say the trip is with Hippel Harris, etc. That we would go usually by continent, South America, 25 days, Africa, 25 days. So you, you're the tour manager. You start with the people 
all the way to the end. And so you're in charge of carrying the money for the hotel or whatever document pays for the hotel and make sure everybody's happy and uh, lost luggage, you deal with that. And the tour itself, are they getting what they paid for, everything that's on the itinerary, are you, are you doing right. that? So if you're a rookie, you would go to uh, Asia first because nothing can ha go wrong. And I'm talking pre-Chinese Asia. You would go there and the Japanese, they, they just do a great job and Filipinos. So you are, don't have any issues that you have to work out. Right. You don't have to worry about like the bus doesn't have a permit or like. Right. Yeah. So then, they don't lose the your second year I worked for, I come down from skiing and stuff, Ron says, where do you want to go? And he sent me to South America. And in, in the 70s, that was the hardest place to escort because anything could go wrong. The airplanes never show up. The, the attitude is manana, more so than Africa, really. So I am leading this tour, and we had about 120 escorts and we were always crisscrossing. The guy I'm crisscrossing with, I'm going to crisscross, is Frank De La Vega, and he lived up here in Glendale, and mm -hmm. he was an expert. He was full certified. I'm a rookie. He's, he's the master, and he's behind me. So we, I'm ahead of him from Bogota, and we go out into uh, uh, the Amazonas area, Leticia, part of Colombia, and then I get to Manaus. I arrive in Manaus with my group, and there's my local guide, he's there, two VW vans, and he's ready to take us to the hotel. And then there's this Greyhound-type bus with the air conditioning going, open bar, that was the key. And this man comes over, and he, because my local guide didn't really speak English that well, and so this man comes over and says, I'm from the Amazonas Hotel. I'm the manager, and you might want to come in my air-conditioned bus to the hotel uh, instead of your VW vans that you have there. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I'll tell the guide I'll meet him tomorrow. So we get to the hotel and the manager says, can you come to my office? And I go, okay. So I go to his office and it's a view. And, and this hotel no longer exists. Uh, I, uh, you can see the Rio Negro River out in, in front. And there's this a yacht there, motor powered. And he says, that's ours from the hotel. It's got two Rolls Royce engines. And we, <clears throat> again, we have an open bar. And you're scheduled to go with your Volkswagen bus guys, and you're going to go out and meet uh, the Rio Negro and the Amazonas, the meeting of the waters in these canoes, which is kind of cool. But he says, you could take the open bar yacht. And I said, well, here's the deal. I have a voucher for that guy, but I know the owner, and he's more of a Rolls Royce kind of guy. So if you'll take my voucher for him, We'll do your boat. So we went out and we did it. Everything's awesome. Three or four days go by. We're at the Rio Sheraton, brand new hotel. And I'm, uh, I just had, you know, room service for my breakfast. Yeah. I always get the suite, the tour man, tour escorts. We either get the closet or we get the prison. And I get in the uh, elevator to go downstairs and there's a bunch of Americans. And they look, you know, like, my group, but they're a different group, and I hear uh, lawsuit, class action. Well, what happened was Frank De La Vega was the expert. He came in three or four days after me to the Manaus, and the local guy kept him away from the manager's big uh, bus, and he, he put the group in this crummy hotel that had no screens. It got bit by mosquitoes, 
And when he took them out, which is still kind of cool in the outriggers to meeting of the waters, the canoes sank. And the <laughs> women lost their passports, their shoes, their purse. I look like a genius. But this guy's been doing he He's, he's the, the pro. Yeah, he knows everything. It just but was just bad luck. Bad, it was bad just local guide. bad luck. Huh. Then, you know, and it happened a couple more times with Frank and I. But in the end, I ended up in La Paz at the end of my tour. And then I got, I got payback there. I, I come up to the Creon Hotel. You know, the bus pulls up. I run out with all my, I used to always wear a three-piece suit and stuff. And I go out with my vouchers and I go up to the desk and I go, Hempel Harris. And they go, I know we don't have any rooms. I go, <clears throat> Hemphill Harris, you know, this is the leading tour group in the United States, above Trafco and all of them, for a bunch of reasons. And I put, and they said, I know who you are, but the generals have taken over the hotel. And there's all these guys with machine guns. So we ended up with my group spending the whole night in the lobby of the hotel. So luck is very important. And so I got paid. That's interesting. Yeah. So what, what do you think the hardest region to to be a tour manager is like what's the most difficult area it kind of comes back to my question about logistically what's the hardest place to get to well like but we're where's saying, the hardest place to do your job it, 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 south america uh it varies and it, it changes and it depends on which one's under martial law you know, at the time, because it just, it, it vacillates, you know, one person have a good experience and the next minute, you know, I was just in Namibia in February. And then that friend of mine I just mentioned, he was there three days later and he couldn't get out of the country hmm. because they closed it because of the COVID. Yeah. You just don't know. And it, he, they cost him 10 grand to come back. They had to charter this Ethiopian airline flight. He was telling me to get back. So being lucky is more important than anything. But you can make you can help make your luck too. You, right. I'm always looking at where's the luggage, all that kind of stuff. Where are we going? One time I was in New Guinea, when the uh, Australians were getting their uh, giving the independence to the New Guinea people, and I was up at Mount Hagen, and this lady was the local guide, Australian, nasty, nasty person, and she lost all her luggage. Mm-hmm. And I know she did it on purpose. I have a picture here of a mud man. It's one of my slides there. Yeah, and, I think uh, I know that one. You know, and there's one lady there with one. a longer breast. That's because she nurses pigs. This is a mud man? Uh, that's the mud man, a sorrow mud man. And she grouped us with, a, with another group. She messed up my whole this tour. Lady. Yes, that right breast is for the pig. Because in New Guinea, the pig gets dominance over the child. Because the pig's more important. Wow. We got to keep the pig alive, so that's pretty intense. So they've lost my luggage and stuff like that, and then there was no flights out of Mount Hagen, and we're stuck at the airport. And uh, I, this one agent, he was uh, from India, and uh, real nice guy. And I, he says, "Look, if you'll get in a DC three uh, World War II plane, maybe we can get you back to Port Moresby and find your luggage." And I said, okay, let's do that. So we're hopping through the jungle with this DC-3 and my clients, there's no pressurization, it's cold as hell, even though it's in New Guinea. And uh, stuff like that. It yeah. just, you know. That's a rough trip. But back to, this, back to this New Guinea, the pig suckling, that's real? They, they value the pig more than the, the child? The pig is more important than the child because it's the mainstay of the, of the family. And so the woman, you know, nurses the pig, makes sure it's okay. That's 
<laughs> That's why we travel. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. And I noticed the other day yeah, I saw... You just, you just never think about that. Yeah. You know? That is why we travel, right? Yeah. And, yeah. We, and where, where this place went on today, they've got, a, I think, a souvenir stand. So it's like, I know you went somewhere, but when did you go there? Yeah, that's an important factor, too. What? Okay, so of all the places that you... That it's no longer there. Well, it's probably North Korea. I, I would like to get back to North Korea, but I know it hasn't changed. It's just the restrictions on it. But it's right. the, 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 the countries have, have changed names, but... The Soviet Union is much better now as Russia or the parts that it broke up into. The yeah. Eastern, I used to despise Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe is probably one of the, the greatest places you can go to today. Poland, Bulgaria, Romania are awesome. But when, when it was under the Soviet Union, you hated it. When it was under the Soviet Union, it was disgusting. But you went there during that time. I did. I started out in 1964 with my family, and we, we went there. And then uh, in the 70s, I went back as a tour manager. and and then the 80s again, but uh, today it's, the, it, you know why? Because of communism. Yeah. It's gone, and the mob runs the country. So, And the mob's into tourism, I take They it. do a great job. Best <laughs> restaurants, best hotels, best thread count on the sheets. Yeah. Yeah, the mafia. So that's, how, that's, how they, that's how they make their money? That's how they, it runs. Huh. It runs, you know? That's crazy. It, it is crazy. Yeah. So are there any spots that you don't think that you'll ever be able to get back to? Uh, well, West Africa is the toughest place to go. Okay. You know, and so there's 56 countries in, in Africa, I think 53 or 4 in Asia. Those are my two favorite continents. But West Africa is the toughest area in which to fly and um, or to travel. and Because I've been by ship too, but... Uh, there used to be a, a, an airline called Air Afrique, and everybody complained about it. It was a subsidiary of Air France, Air Chance, as people used to call it. And Why Air Chance crashes or, or like? They just did it off Brazil what, three or four years ago. They, they iced up and crashed in the Atlantic. And, uh, you know, Fernando so, de Naranja uh, is an island out there that they, uh, they brought the parts of the plane to. But uh, so... Air Afrique was always put down, but Air Afrique would connect like from Addis. You could go to Central African Republic. You could work your way into Chad. You could work your way into Senegal, Ghana, Angola. Without it, today you have to almost go back to Europe to the colonial power that ran that West African country. So if you want to go to Angola, you got to go from Lisbon. If you want to go to uh, uh, the Congo, you got to go back to uh, Amsterdam. So, so there's no no regional flights available. There's no and it, and, the, and the airlines, you know, I, the local planes are leaking fuel, water, and and then you look at the planes. Should I get on that thing or not? That there's duct tape on the wheels, and you well, it's either stay here or that's your way out. Huh. You know. <laughs> now what about what about traveling uh, overland? In those regions way difficult way difficult the border crossing at the border is almost impossible the amount of uh backsheesh you have to pay to uh bribe the guards and what stuff. is backsheesh you know payoffs yeah that's know. the official word for payoffs. yeah so uh, there, there's a couple of of sh of companies that have these big giant mercedes 
trucks that take a nine-month trip from London to Cape Town, and they will drive through those countries, but they don't take anybody above 30, and uh, they make their own meal. And most people don't make it all the way. They punk out, get a disease, go home. Why don't they take people over 30? Uh, they have to cook the own food. They, they, you have to put up the tents. Uh, they, don't, they don't think we can... <laughs> <laughs> to gut it out. So, it's, but so it, it, it's really difficult to go between. The, there's so many banditos and and places like that. Uh, so what you're saying is there there's tour uh, companies that are more extreme than what you do. Oh, definitely, oh, absolutely, yeah. Mine, mine's Kush. You know, we don't do five star hotels every night. We put one in. You know, when you need like, it. When we need it. But we it, we we stay in great two and three four-star places, and the people at Mir, and my friend Dimitri, the, he sets up hotels that are really great. And it's a much better experience than being in an American hotel chain like Hilton and Sheraton, right. so because you, you miss the whole thing. Now, but, what was uh, your one most thing, recent trip? Most recent one was to Namibia in February. Right. I'm living off that trip right now. I'm going out of my mind. Uh, my <laughs> next one's and I Wait, miss like what, Slovakia. How often would you normally travel? Like you'd be home. I for, go three or four times a year. Okay, so you're you you would normally be home for like a month or two. Yeah, and then you'd go. Maybe. And yeah. now you've been home for what four months or something so like, I, I missed one trip and now i'm waiting for this one that that's going to ethiopia and it's going to a place i haven't been and when does this trip danakil depression it's supposed to go third week of august but another reason i travel one time i was uh in west africa and and again it's that things that are spontaneous uh we were supposed to go dakar to new york plane doesn't work and they say okay we're gonna take you to this hotel and it was a crummy hotel and we'll go in the morning. So this guy on the bus, he was from Holland. He says, oh, let me buy you a beer in the bar. So we uh, go to the bar, and it was just like the Star Wars bar. There were, like we the had, cantina? Like the cantina. We got, we got SAS soldiers. We got Belgian Rangers, Marines. We've got former uh, cello scouts from Rhodesia. We've got all these foreign legionnaires, and they're drinking at the bar. And this guy and this says, is in Namibia. No, this is in Dakar, Senegal. Oh, sorry. And that's right. And so the, the, the guy says, you see that older guy at the bar? He says, you know who that is? And he said, I said, no. He says, that's John Denard. And Frederick Forsyth, when he wrote his book called Dogs of War, he wrote it about him because John Denard was a mercenary, former legionnaire for, in France, and he took over the Comore Islands with his pseudo-soccer team, and they ran it for about 15 years. So the French government- they took over an island. Took over the whole and island. And ran it for 15 years? Yeah, he was the king of the island. That's actually impressive that they held on to it for 15 years. It is, and then the French deny it, but the French wanted to depose the, the dictator was there. So he came in, shot them up, kicked them out, killed them, I don't know what so they did. So this was like, a, this was like a, a off the books French operation. Absolutely, and John Denard was the one who always did this. They deny that they're connected with him, but he, they are. So I got to go over and meet him. And he's just hanging out in a bar in Senegal. Yeah, and you know, like I say, Frederick Forsyth, Dogs of War, great book, worth yeah. reading. Yeah. So uh, you know, so these things happen. That's why you travel, right? That's why I travel. Keep traveling. So you own the world. You, you said that you took a recent trip to the Lena River. Yeah, I, I did that about... Where is the Lena River, first off? Uh, it starts 
near uh, Lake Baikal, but it, the water doesn't come out of the lake. It comes from underground nearby, and it goes north, and it uh, goes up to the Arctic Ocean. And I've been trying to find a... So is this like right central Russia? East central Russia. Okay. So if you just took Siberia as a separate thing, it's kind of in the middle of the... Siberia. Uh, of Siberia. And the oblast it's in uh, is... 20% of Siberia. It's a huge wow. state and uh, has no bridges across the Lena. The Lena runs for about 2,500 miles. No, but if, no, it, if, it, if it bisects Siberia, how do they get, there's not a single highway that goes across that thing? No. There's not a highway that goes across Siberia? Oh, there is uh, to the south, but it, it, it's mostly trains because okay. of the permafrost. So this whole oblast, Saha oblast, it's all permafrost. Mm -hmm. About 60% or at least of Russia is frozen down 8, 10 feet. And so you start out in Yakutsk, which is the coldest city in the world. I wrote a paper on it when I was going to SC. I had an anthropology teacher, uh, and he uh, had photographed all these tribes of, East, of eastern uh, Siberia, of Siberia. And now I visited every one of the tribes that he taught us about when I was going to school. And I, I'm sure he never thought, Ivan Kranskin was his name, that some punk in his class would, be visiting would ever places. do all this stuff. But it's one of the few classes I ever got an A in, but it was awesome. And so I've been on the Ob River, I've been on the Yenisei, they had a big oil spill at the top of the Yenisei the other day. It's a big mess. Uh, I've been on the Volga. I've been on the Amur. I've been on the Angara. But the Lena I hadn't been on with a ship that, that, that was nice. And this ship was really nice. And it was built in 86 in uh, Austria. And uh, it in, sailed out of down the Danube into the Black Sea. And then it went around into the Dardanelles, into the Mediterranean. It took two years. Then it went across to Gibraltar. Then it went up by Ireland. Then it went up by the Faroes. And it cut across Murmansk. And mm. then it went across the Northeast Passage, which I've done on a Russian icebreaker, nuclear, before. And then went all the way across to the mouth of the Lena River. And then it went 2,500 miles down to Yakutsk. And so it sits there. So I called the other day because it goes four times a year. It's not going this year. So again, that's another trip. Somebody wanted to go with me so last year. So four times a year, it makes a 2,500-mile journey. Starts in June, does four of them. Uh, last year, it only did three because it got turned back. when it, 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 You're trying to get to a, a town on the Arctic Ocean called Titsky, mm -hmm. and an awful place. You know, one, one of the worst <laughs> what places. What an awful destination. Uh, just unbelievable. You know? <laughs> and, and the place where they had the oil spill is called Dudinka or Norilsk. Look up Norelsk. So this is definitely a trip that is about the, the journey. It's about the journey. And, you know, uh, these guys are great pilots. The ship was great. The food was great. We went up. We saw the people at Titsky. and Felt uh, sorry. Yeah. Those places up there were designed for military. They're, they're part of those secret cities of Russia. There's, like, if you wanted to go there in the 70s or 80s, they go, where? They, they don't exist. Yeah. So now they've opened them up to tourism to a point and uh, secret cities. 
And Is it difficult to get into Russia and travel like you travel? You have to get somebody to get a special visa for this. It's not just your Russian visa. You got to get a permit. Like I took the family two years, three years ago now on the Ob River. Some people call it the Ob. Ob, and we did the same thing. We got on the boat and went down the river. Uh, and your company handles that, like logistics. I work with the... Mir on this because they have companies, uh, little offices all the way across Siberia. Mm -hmm. But I, I plan the trip, and then, uh, like I say, Dimitri How do does you get all the this special visas and stuff. Though uh, he helps get it, mm -hmm. or he turns me over to the visa companies that'll uh, issue the visas. So that's part of the value of, of a travel company and an escort like yourself is, is all that. You, you get yeah. through that as a traveler. Well, if you were asking me to go maybe to Ireland or Spain, uh, not doing it. Yeah, you got to do it yourself. Those are easy to do. Right. And, 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 the, and the people that do it now do it better than, but I'm going to places that uh, aren't normal. And yeah. so uh, they're more difficult to get to. They aren't normal. <laughs> I go to places that aren't normal. No, they're not normal. Yeah. You know, why would I want to go there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, because that's where the interesting stuff is, right? I have a friend who took his girlfriend on the Nile River. Yeah. And at one of the meals, on they went down the, uh, the Nile on a, a ship that's part of a hotel. It was either the Sheraton or the Hilton. And then she just, he told me, she just started screaming, ah, the, the flies and I got to get out of it. Like, you know, some people can't take this. A yeah. lot of people are insecure, you know, yeah. and they get, but my people, we're, we're looking to get away from uh, well, whatever's happening the, the, the more you get away from places, the more, the cleaner it gets. And, you know, like, it, it, it seems like if you're in a nasty city that's filled with a bunch of people, it tends to be a lot more dirty and, 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 and kind of make your skin crawl. But if you get out in the middle of nowhere somewhere, like it doesn't matter what country you're in. I'm sure if you're in the middle of nowhere, Siberia, and it's negative 20 degrees, you know, it's going to be the same as negative 20 degrees in Alaska or Canada or wherever else, right? Well, Siberia, you got to take it down another 30 degrees. Negative 50. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, Putin likes to ski. I, I know this for a fact, and he's built a lot of ski areas in Siberia. And I thought about one time bringing a group to Siberia to ski, and I found out it, it's 60 below at times, and that's standing still. So if the wind chill factor, I Jeez. mean, there's no way. Your eyes would just freeze. And uh, So Putin skis that? He built the ski resort there because he thought that would be a fun resort? Putin's a pretty tough guy. Yeah, <laughs> in negative 60? I, I think maybe. You know, they, they do it. They, they have Doppelmeyer ski lifts, which are the world's best. You yeah. Know? And, 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 and yeah. Are there and, any ski resorts? In, in and there's that? borders, too, like yourself. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people boarding Kamchatka. Well, I, try a, I think I'm a skier now, I, but I'm not. But it, That's better. Yeah. We call the, the boarding dark, the dark the side. The dark side. I My mean, kids have never boarded. My daughter did yeah. it one day and got hurt. And so, <laughs> no, we just... Uh, are there any nice places to ski in Siberia? You looked it up, right? Oh, yeah. They got these. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's not negative 60. Well, I would it like could it to be, be. I would like it to be 20 degrees. That'd be nice. Above or below? No, no, no. Above. Uh, yeah. Well, that would be a, that would know, be a, would be a warm day. It's dry. I've yeah. talked to soldiers in, in uh, Siberia that said they come out and they take the chickens out of the coop and they throw them in the air and they freeze. Yeah. Okay. My paper that I did on Yakuts. 
where they have the Permafrost Museum, was described, and you're talking about roads. There's very few roads in Siberia. And when they do have roads, they're, they're really a mess. But the trucks all caravan. And so when they caravan at night, they, they, they're never out there alone. They stop at these lodges to uh, have food and sleep. First thing they have when they sit down, ice water. Like, because if they don't, they have hot soup and break their teeth off. That's huh. how serious cold it is. Huh. So uh, Yakutsk is the coldest city. And then there's a town about 200 miles from Yakutsk, which is the coldest village. People will go there. Uh, when I did this trip on the Lena, there was a Japanese guy, and he was on his way there. So, so what's it like on the boat or the ship? It was great. It was. Uh, so, uh, like on the river itself, is it is it warmer or is it still? Just... It's still freezing. So, there's more traffic, cars and stuff in the winter because they go out on the ice mm -hmm. and they drive two or three hundred miles to another town, but they can't do that in the summer. So, there's no bridges. There was supposed to be a bridge in the Yakutsk three or four years ago and some politician took the money and... So they just only transit this area in the winter when it's frozen? On Otherwise, vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. And in the summer it's boats. And so these boats are just sitting there frozen nine and a half months out of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I like Russia a lot, but it's, I've done so many trips, I'm running out of places to go there and uh, I've been working on East Eastern Europe, but this Denikil depression in, in Ethiopia will be, uh, uh, it, it, it's going to be 130 degrees. Mm -hmm. We're going to sleep on rope beds, beds made out of rope. It's like a hammock, but I guess less comfortable. I haven't done this. This is on the list. And, it, it, you know, we're going to go to the normal stuff, Lollibella and our Axum. And that's what I do when I see people. You know, as I, I, I can usually spot somebody's Somali or, and I'll, I'll or anybody, and I'll, I'll see them doing whatever, wherever I am, in, say in San Diego, I say, where are you from? And at first, you know, it's like, well, you're like, why do you want to? From San Diego. Well, I'm from Ethiopia. I go, what part of Ethiopia? Gondor. I, Gondor. I was in Gondor three years ago. You were in Gondor, and then when it breaks the ice. Yeah. So uh, talking about travel, you know. So it's, it's well, people, you know, like when you travel, you get a, a wider perspective, right? Yeah, and I don't have to be callous. If you're a person who doesn't have the time or the money, let's just say you did some of the national parks. Yeah. Let's just say you did uh, Northern California. It, it, whatever it is, just get out of your comfort zone. Try something different. Okay, so I got a question for you. It's going to two part. First, of all the UNESCO World Heritage Sites, mm. which one wins in your book? I know that's tough because there's lots of beautiful ones, but which one is the most deserving of a UNESCO World Heritage Site of the, all the globe? Yosemite. Yosemite. <laughs> Don't you hate when I well, do that? The, the next question was going to be, what's the best one in California for someone to go to? Well, but, I just answered it, didn't I? Yeah. I used to get, and I'm serious about this, and I, we'd be starting this tour from LAX and stuff, and they go, what's your favorite country? And I go, Mexico. Really? I love Mexico. The people are so great. The food is terrific. How the food I'm is serious. <laughs> you know, I love Mexico. So, I mean, that's, that, that one. Now, Namibia, where I just went, Outstanding, super people. Uh, I, I, I like it all. It's all good. But Yosemite, Yosemite is just gorgeous. It is pretty great. But it, uh, you know, you know, you know my gripe about Yosemite though, the traffic. Oh. You know, like in a lot of these places, like the way I like to travel, like I think, you know, the National Parks S Service 
um, you know, they, they built the infrastructure so people could drive through the park. They're like, we want to show these national monuments off. And, you know, this automobile is a new thing. So wouldn't it be cool if people could just drive up in their automobile and see the Grand yeah, Canyon? Yeah. Which, probably a great idea. And when, when it was happening, I probably would have gone along with that idea. But in retrospect, I think that kind of ruins it. Well, that's the problem of the world. Because can you imagine what people. Yosemite would be like if you could not get there via car? If yeah. you had to hike in 40 miles to get to Yosemite Valley. Yeah. If it was a 40-mile hike. And, and the only way to get there, okay, so maybe there's porters or whatever, but you actually had to walk your ass 40 miles to get to Yosemite Valley. Well, can you imagine the different experience? Oh, totally. It would, st- it would be even more gorgeous, but it would be a different experience. Uh, I like, also like to see, like, I watched the show last night with, last week with Kevin. Yeah. And, you know, he had Mother Teresa, and he had the Dalai Lama. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, oh, yeah, tell us about... I'm sure you've met some celebrities, right? Well... I didn't meet him, so I'm not comparing myself to Kevin. But I was in Addis Ababa, 73 or 4, and I step out of the Hilton Hotel, and I see all these military guys lining up, and here comes the red uh, limousine, which was a symbol of the king of Ethiopia, Haile Selassie. So I, I just took my Kodachrome. You and got I, a picture of this? Somewhere over there yeah. on the screen. Not a great shot. But uh, for, that's for Kevin. That, that's my, you know, important person. So you person. got a picture of, of, of the king of Ethiopia. Just with his Jumped hand. Out. Were you allowed to take very, a picture of him? Well, I, I did. Don't think this I, is it. That's not it. it it's a red so uh, Mercedes Benz. That's just a bunch of sailors. Okay. Who are these sailors? Oh, that's me. I, I, I used to work in the movies. And so I was an extra. So Baba Black Sheep? No. <laughs> that was uh, on the Baba Black Sheep set. Yeah, those uniforms look a little tight. Yeah. Over there. I got my hair cut that day for that stupid show. Yeah. They buzz cutted me. But somewhere in there is a red, an old red uh, Mercedes that Haile Selassie was in. Yeah, Kevin and met some amazing people. And oh, he, yeah, it's amazing. You know, what he when did. he was traveling, you, you listened to his talk. He just kind of did it, you know, off the cuff. He just went and he ran into people and things and he heard about places and then he went there and. Pretty cool way to travel. Uh, one thing is, you know, we toy around with going to Antarctica. We toy around going to the poles and stuff like that. But bad stuff can happen. And so... Uh, what do you mean? Well, stuff? I was... De- de- well, I was... First time to Antarctica, I was on the academic IAFI. These were spy ships that were uh, rented out and leased by a Canadian company called Marine Expeditions. Uh-huh. Sam Blythe, his idea... And so we were uh, in the Falkland Islands after we had done all of Antarctica on this trip. And I step out on the deck of the Iafi, and I see our uh, captain looking like Napoleon with this white suit and gold hat, and he had his sword, and he's going across to the governor's house because they had arrested our ship in <laughs> Port Stanley, and nobody was going everywhere, anywhere. And so the problem was that the... Um, the Russian company had uh, had some work done in Hamburg, and they didn't pay for it, typical. And so the Germans had the British uh, uh, serve the papers for arresting the ship in the Port Stanley, which messes up everybody. It was Friday, and we had doctors who had operations they were going to do next week in New York, and now they can't leave. And They wouldn't let anybody off the ship? No. 
huh. for 60 days. The, it took 60 days for the last person to get off the ship. And, uh, and this was the British that did this? Well, the British, uh, yeah, I, I have a copy of this. It was a warrant, and it has to go on the mast of the ship. And it said, uh, in, her, in the name of Her Majesty Queen of England, Sovereign of Scotland and Wales, we hereby impound this ship. But it was the Germans who and did the legal the passengers. And all the passengers. Huh. So they finally worked out a, like a Cessna to come from Chile, because you see, Argentina and the Falklands are still at war. Mm -hmm. So there's no way you can go to Argentina, and there's no plane traffic. So they had to get permission when they chartered this small plane from Punta Arenas, uh, Chile, to get to uh, the Falklands and pick us up. So every day there were three passengers and there's 60 people on the ship. So, now some people were probably those retired people from Miami who go, hey, you know, yeah. just stay here. Port Stanley is pretty pretty boring. It's like you place. know, Bob Oberto's stuck in the Caribbean, right? No. Yeah, he got stuck down there, having the time of his life. Cool. <laughs> you know where? Uh, I forget. Hey, Andy, what what islands Bob stuck on? I'm sure he's watching. Stuck. Bob Oberto is in Belize, and oh, he's Belize. currently chilling oh. on a house on the beach. And yeah, uh, he got I can't stuck stand down that there, about him. And uh, he's not too broken up about it. Oh, that that that. <laughs> he's having a pretty good time. So, um, couple, I know you had some more stories. A couple, couple more stories. Um, um, one thing is, you know, did the companies I work for, I work for Tra Travel World and I work for Hempel Harris and I work for UTS, um, did they uh, ever have me, uh, have me lie to the people about something, not, not disclose? And what it was, was uh, I was going in to do the South Pacific trip and they said, look, we've got these luxury... Uh, cabanas on this island where everybody gets their own separate uh, room. It's like a, you know, like an apartment. And it, you get a servant assigned to you to cook all your meals. You mm -hmm. tell them what you want, they do it. They said, but there's a problem. There's coral snakes all over the island. And I go, coral snakes? Are you kidding? I, I hate snakes. You, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to tell the people about it because I'm, I don't know if I'm going. And so I... Um, I get to the island. I didn't tell them because they knew the group wouldn't all go. Some would go. Some would want to stay back in Suva and Nandi. So we get. We were supposed to be there a couple of days. So I get uh, in my room and I'm looking around. I, I lock my suitcase, put my shoes in the suitcase, and I feel something. And I look up in the rafters, and there's this eight-foot coral snake oh. crawling around in the rafters. I go, Jesus, terrible. So I went out. And I, I went in the ocean, and I'm swimming around, coral snakes. I'll get you in the ocean, too. I went in the pool. Bingo. Bah. A couple of them went into the pool. So I, I don't drink, really, but I went to the bar, and then these bar stools, and I said, I'm going to sit here for three days, drink slowly, until it's time to leave this damn place. And uh, the snakes, So they told you to not, not tell anybody in Don't disclose it. It'll uh, ruin the tour. And so at night, they loved the tile floor and the snakes would come the, the, Did anybody ask you about them? Yeah, but it was too late. You just say, the oh, boat oh, yeah, left. like uh, yellow, black. Oh, they won't hurt you. Or something like yeah, that. They're, they're great. That's like my second or third trip. I went to Egypt, and we were supposed to fly down to Abu Simbel. 
And we got in this plane, and it was just when the Russians were kicked out of Egypt, and it was a Tupolev or an Anatolov or whatever, and the plane was a piece of junk. And uh, we got down to uh, the Aswan Dam. We're supposed to go to Abu Simbel, and the local guy comes back and says, I'm sorry, the plane's getting serviced. It's got a little problem. But we will fly back to Cairo at the end of the day. So people were going, well, wait a minute, was something wrong with the plane? Why can't we take the train? I said, well, you take the train from here, Aswan, it's a three-day trip, and uh, buses are, you don't want to be on one of those buses. It, it's no problem. I, you know, I said, the FAA, they, they check everything out worldwide, you know. So we get out to the airport, the, ready to go back to Cairo, and the plane starts down the runway, hits the brakes, and the plane's skidding around. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we could take the train or something. And so he went back, and he did the same damn thing again. And the third time, he skidded to a stop, and I'm going, wow, this is the pits. And this guy came out with the uh, native dress on, the, the robe, and he had a, you know, a slot screwdriver and a Phillips, and he monkeyed around with the plane. And then the captain made him get on the plane with us, like a flight of the Phoenix or something. What are we going to do with this guy? And we, I swear, we flew back to Cairo at an angle like this. All it, they never tell you what's wrong with the plane. <laughs> they never, but we, we made it, knock on wood, and uh, it makes for a story later. But uh, That's crazy. We, we all have those the kind FAA of things. had your back, though, right? That's right. Yeah. They, they know every airport and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. And then um, I was attacked one time in Djibouti by... Uh, Two guys in the middle, Isn't it like an emirate or something, Djibouti. No, it's not an emirate. It's its what? own country. Uh, it's above Ethiopia. You've got, okay. uh, and uh, it's French. And at the time I was there, uh, there was no American embassy, Is no consul. Being a dangerous place, or so so. The Afar people are kind of the indigenous people there. And I used to travel with a ninety-year-old guy, Bernie Schneider, out of Falls. Uh, Falls Hills, New York, mm -hmm. and he, uh, he he was in his 90s. And when these natives would see his passport and look at his age, they would just go, uh, oh, my God, never saw anybody over 40. You know, they were blown away. So he says, Bill, can you get me some postcards? And so I, I he stayed at the hotel. I went down to get these postcards, and these guys got around me. And, and uh, you know, I used to study karate in the old days, with John Leoning over in on Lancashire in North Hollywood, he, he was real big in guiding the studios on their martial arts, like the movie Kung Fu and stuff. But anyway, somebody out there knows John Leoning, and you know, I wasn't very good, but I did, you know, the two knuckle strike like we all learn, and so. Uh, so did you fend off these? Motors? I did because they, they reached. They me? reached in my backpack, and I had my heart. Because at that time I had real tickets, you know, with the, with the, uh, what do you call it, paper, the copy paper on them, and if you lose the ticket, it's like cash, you're not going anywhere. You have to buy a new ticket. So now with the you know digital, it's in the computer, no problem. Right. So I had my ticket. The trip was just starting with my buddy Bernie. I had my money. I had my credit cards. I had my passport and my visas. Very difficult to get nobody's getting it from me. I mean, I'll fight to the Alamo death. And that's what I did. I, you know, and so, I mean, it was just, because I used to have these dreams. I would be in Siberia, and I would get off the train at midnight to buy a banana and leave everything, and the train would leave. And With now, all your stuff, and then you're stranded. No one speaks my language. Yeah. Who's going to help me? I mean, it, it's, it's all, all of us were all like that, that thing where, 
where you yeah. reach for your passport. I can see that jerk. I watch my people. I know it. they're looking for their passport. <laughs> so it's best to have that stuff. You, you figure out your system, what's best. So, it's, so you don't lose stuff, yeah. Yeah, because it, it could be a big problem. And uh, then that becomes the problem of me if I'm the tour manager. That's, I have That's to, an issue that you have to deal with now. Yeah, I have to deal yeah. with that. And so it's, it's scary. So when we kind of uh, get to the end here, normally we do a Q&A with questions yeah. in the chat. I'm sure um, there, there's some good, good questions in that chat, Andy, or people, people will be throwing stuff out there as we go. Absolutely. We had a number of good questions today, and I just want to welcome everyone to the chat once again. It's great to see you all. And uh, let's jump right in. The first question comes from Serious Improv, and he wants, or they want to know, which place that you've been had the best restrooms? Oh, good question. Uh, where, where did you feel the best about going to the bathroom away from home? South Korea. Yeah. They do everything. They have a robot e toilet. Public toilets have the heat. They have the water. They have vibration. They do everything for you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a good, that was an easy <laughs> one. That was good. South Korean toilets, I've heard, I've heard they're good. Uh, worst is, was probably in the Stan countries, the, the Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. yeah. At some point, I just want to walk out into the woods. You know what I mean? At like a certain level of restroom, I'm like, I, mean, I don't know. It, it's best, <laughs> Basically, yeah. somewhere above Go with the bears. Body. Yeah, go with the bears. Yeah. I'd rather take care of my business outside. Absolutely. What else we got, Andy? Next question comes from Larry Stern, and he wants to know, have you ever spent a night or two in jail? You were arrested on that ship, but that, that's different. Yeah, and Very then nautical. And, and, and the uh, when we got, we got to Diego Garcia, we got the, the British commandos were in a helicopter uh, hovering above us. But uh, w where I did have uh, uh, trouble would be uh, um, I have to think about that for a second. Can I get back to that one? Yeah. Uh, arrested. Like in jail. Did you ever spend a night? No, in jail? I never spent a night in jail. In a, in you almost did. You ever almost get arrested, or think think that you were going to get arrested? Oh, that, that's was the thing. Okay, I was in Iraq. Saddam Hussein was in power, uh -huh. and uh, the Al Rashid Hotel. Uh, as you walk in, it had George Bush one mosaic tile, and you step on his face because that's the most insulting thing an Arab person can do to. A non-Arab is to show. He probably them. walked in and be like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> so I'm, I'm at the Al Rashid. It's the hotel where you guys saw all the newsmen up on the roof as the missiles were coming in to attack Baghdad in Gulf War One. So I see these white Mercedes pulling up with all these generals, and they all have their six guns, just like cowboys, uh, in, on their hip. And I take a few pictures, and all of a sudden, three uh, motorcycle cops start coming over to me and I think, okay, this is it. You know, I'm gonna lose the camera, film for sure, and I might be in the chair with the light. And they walked over to me and they said, <clears throat> would you take our picture? And so that's as close as I've <laughs> had with the law. That's a, that's a pleasant brush with the law. That was fine. All right, what else we got in that chat? Got a lot of questions in the chat tonight, it's good. Next question comes from Serious Improv. UNESCO added 29 new sites in 2019. Have you been to any, and do you plan to go to any? Uh, I have. 
I think I've already, I think I've been to some of these before they were sites, and uh, I, I, I don't have anything specific, specifically planned to go to any of them. But uh, like I said, I think I visited two-thirds of them already. You counted them as sites before? Yeah, I, if they were already there, I, I, I've been there. I don't need to go back, unless it's something worth seeing. Any again. significant ones that popped up on that list in 2019? That I haven't really looked at the list. That book comes out every year. It's, uh, it's a, like a telephone book. It's like the yeah. Sears catalog or something. They don't just publish an addendum? Delete no, these, they, they, these. They, have a, they have a new book each year. A Notice to Travelers? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, no, I, I don't really go by the list anymore. It's just what comes up, you know, a picture. So do you think that you're done with the whole, the list thing, the knocking out the list being yeah. number one? Yeah, what I'm doing now is going back and spending, because I believe that if you haven't been to a place in 10 years, it's been 10 years ago since you're, it's a different place. Yeah. It's not the same place. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm done with my bucket list. So that's how I, like, just me personally, why I count you as the world's most traveled person, because you are at the top of so many of these lists, and you're to a point where you're traveling, and you don't even care about the lists anymore. I really don't care about it. I, that's, that's another level, you know? When you hit the top of those lists, and you're there for so long, and, and you know, you know all the different ways that you can be measured in your traveling and it just doesn't matter anymore, right? Well, I, I know people that count the miles that they've traveled, yeah. which I don't know how you would do that. I mean, would, would astronauts not? <laughs> and I, that's funny. I said, well, what about airplane pilots? And these people said, well, they don't count. Cause they're, well, they don't. Why don't they count? <laughs> but so if you're in the passenger seat, it counts? Yeah, it is, yeah exactly. So, I mean, you, people have lists. You know, They have lists yeah. of everything. Uh, lists of golf courses, restaurants, okay, yeah, you know, so. Or it's like scuba divers. Do you scuba dive? Uh, no. Okay. Well, you know, scuba divers at some point, you know, it, when you're starting, everybody's like, well, how many dives have you done? And then uh, at some point, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue how many dives I've done. Yeah, it's Thousands, like you don't really don't care. I mean, yeah, it, it, the experience, you know, uh, you might have a new member, you know, Jim Goodridge, who's won every yacht race, and he's just saying, you know, powerboat people go from port to port, and that's their trip, and the sailboat people, you know, it's it's the sail that they're, yeah. the experience of that, not the destination. So. Interesting. So what, what else we got in the chat? A couple more questions? Speaking of Jim Goodrich, Captain Jim is watching tonight, and he uh, oh. from the Big Island in Hawaii, and he's loving the Aloha shirt. So oh, he is. Shout out to Cha Captain nice Jim. Shirt. It is a nice shirt. Thank you. Um, <laughs> next question: In the Adventures Club, it's well known that there is uh, an island formerly owned by a member Herman Jessen called Jessonia. Have you ever been to Jessonia, and do you plan on going? I have no idea where that is. Mm. Hmm. Jessonia. Do you count places like that that are uh, countries declared, like uh, Redonda or Sealand? Have you been to Sealand? Uh, I, I know of it. Uh, I don't count it. Oh, well, yeah, I've been to Sealand, but this, <laughs> the, this place, I've never heard of this place. You heard of Redonda? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's the island. Well, the, we, the king is a member of the club. Is that right? Yes, the king of Redonda. No kidding. Wow. What else we got in that chat? Next Four question. Yeah. Next question comes from 
uh, I'm sorry uh, for my mispronunciation in advance, Parviz Malakuti, and he wants to know, what were the best bars and discos in the USSR? Uh, the ones that happened after the fall? Well, I, I, I don't go to the discos, and, 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 and the bars are too dangerous also. Uh, I, every town's got great, you know, exciting bar, disco type things, but I don't drink with Russian people because anymore, <laughs> because they won't let you stop drinking. And so they're that type of drinking. Yeah. Party. And so I've been on ships and stuff and I pretend I don't speak any language because they'll, be, they'll try to figure out who I am because the vodka, the, until you pass out on the floor, it's too dangerous. So that, that, that's not me. Sorry. I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. If you go to Russia and you start drinking with a Russian, they, they stop when you're passed out. Well, I'll say another that's thing. That's when you're stopping. A friend of mine, Graham Pendergast from Boston, he and I were in Ulan Ude. And we come walking around the corner, and there were about 20 of these girls who had just been trying out for this beauty pageant in the hotel. And they looked at us, and, and, and Graham says, you know what they see? They see a green card and an ATM machine. So you got to watch yourself in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ask which one was the green card and which one was the ATM machine? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, else, what other questions do we have? Sure. Back to Jasonia very quickly for those in the chat and don't know. There's yeah. actually a list here in the club that you can only be on if you've if you've been to that island. So where can, is it? Uh, we'll show you after the program. Wow. And for those watching I in the chat, something. come on Just by and we'll show yeah, you where yeah. the list is. Wow. Maybe you can add your name to it. God. Next question comes from uh, Serious Improv again, and they want to know what are some of the highlights and lowlights from your travels in terms of food, history, and people. Highlights and lowlights terms of let's go with food where's the best food you've ever had uh, hmm argentinian steaks when, when i ate a lot of meat the, the, just, the, the, just straight beef the, the best argentina there's no comparison um uh, maybe korean barbecue in seoul korea amazing that was the best it's awfully good um and um you know. So what country has the worst food? Like what region if you're just like not looking forward to the food at all? Well, it changes and it used to be Australia, but then they Australia let Australia used to be the worst food. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The British taught them how to cook. Yes. And that's when the British were bad. but with the Asians when they finally let the Asians into Australia, that that totally changed. I would say uh, the land where the worst drivers are in the world and I'll go with Iran. I'm not really big on kebab. Everything is kebab, kebab, sheep, everywhere you go. So uh, that's not my gig. I, I don't look forward to it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a I'm a fan of Persian food. Okay. They got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. That rice. Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. All right. One more question, right? Two more questions. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of Iran, uh, Parviz Malakuti wants to know, how were your experiences in Afghanistan and Iran? Well, Iran has the friendliest people. And, uh, and great food. <laughs> worst drivers in the world, beyond it, there's no question. They pass on the curve at night with no lights. And, uh, you know, I'd call up somebody at a travel agency. I was talking to Joe last week. I'm sorry he's not here anymore. Well, when he's dead. And we, we got one time with that 90 year old man, we got in two wrecks in one day. 
And then uh, I told Bernie, I said, tonight I'll buy the wine in the hotel. Of course, they don't have wine because they don't drink. But um, <laughs> Worst drivers and they don't drink. Yeah, they not anymore. Shiraz came from there, but the, so uh, uh, that, that, that food doesn't appeal to me. What was the other part of the question? No, no I, I think that was it. Highlights and lowlights. Uh, okay. So the worst food, the best food is South Korean barbecue. It's awfully good. And, uh, and Japan, mm, sushi bar. Australia, bars. not great, but a little bit better. Now, today, it, it changed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, one more question, Andy. Final question comes from Michael Bershad, and he wants to know, in regards to the final frontier, would it appeal to you to travel into space? I've been asked that before, and uh, no. No interest in that or going down to see the Titanic. It's just, I don't... It what if it was free? Uh, how far are we going? <laughs> I'm not going to Mars. You're going to the ISS and back. You're going to oh, the space, space station? station? I, I've been in the, the, the copy of it in, in Moscow, at, at Star City. They have, yeah. it, you know, it's about the length of this room. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, You could go for free. Uh, how long am I, uh, I going to be there? I don't know, a week. Okay, I do it for a week. I, I you can do it. You know, Mir does this, by the way. Corporation, is it? They'll, they'll take you to the space station in Kazakhstan. I mean, the training and and, and if we, if Mir enough, Travel does. Yeah, they're one of the people that'll do it. Because I heard that I heard that the Dragon capsule was was selling seats. Are they are they one of the companies that purchased those seats? I think they can. I, I know they have tours to go over and and that you go through the astro, the cosmonaut program. Did I miss something? I thought Mir's. Well, Mir's the name of the space station. It's yeah. also the name of yeah. this travel agency. Yeah, but Mir's means peace. Yeah, but it came down, didn't it? No, didn't the, the space station. The one they all go didn't up they to deorbit it. No, that's I the one. The, ISS the space now. station is Russian. The ISS, International Space Station, is right? Mir. Which isn't Mir. Oh, I thought it was. Mir's a different space station. I think it deorbited. Okay, that I ago. see. That's I, I don't know anything. I should things. know that. But I know the ISS <laughs> is not the same as Mir. Okay. There's Skylab, which is ours, and Mir, which was the Russian one. Huh. Yeah, and then ISS. Well, I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Bill, for coming out. Um, is there anything you want to say? Yeah, I wouldn't even be here tonight if it wasn't for John Goddard. And so he would always end his phone conversations with me by saying, to be continued. So from the Adventures Club of Los Angeles... To be continued. Thank you for watching.